Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. If we haven't met, my name is Jacob Lee. Um, I am the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship at the College of Charleston. That's the campus ministry of this denomination of the PCA. And it's my joy to get to be on campus uh, on y'all's behalf, telling students about Jesus and equipping them to serve His church. Um, Thank you all for having me. It's good to be with you. Thank you for your support, your prayers. Um, You all are an encouragement to me um, as I do that work, as I uh, spend time on campus. Um, And it's good to see some some students' faces in the the congregation as well. So um, this morning we are going to be in uh, 1 John. chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. So if you turn there with me, um, if you don't know where it is, it's to the very end of the Bible. If you find Revelation and flip a few books to the left, you'll find it. Um, As you're turning there, I want to consider, I want you to consider with me the difference between light and darkness in our world. Dark is mysterious. It can be frightening or scary. Uh, my children insist on having nightlights in their room just because of that, um, for that reason, for that fact. They're afraid of the dark. There's something primal about darkness and about what it does to us, um, does to our bodies, to our minds. When my room is dark, I also um, have to be careful walking around, not because I'm afraid of monsters, but because there might be a shoe on the floor or a pile of unfolded clothes. Um, John, the Apostle John, would affirm this kind of contrast between darkness and light. But John has something very different to say um, about what that contrast means for our world. So look with me in 1 John. I'll read um, our text for us. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. This is God's Word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me for the teaching of it? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these words recorded by John so many years ago, that they were preserved for us this morning to learn from. We do pray that you would send your Spirit, that your Spirit would be here with us as we try to learn from you, um, that you would uh, be clear um, where I am unclear, and that you would be magnified. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. So there's a book about darkness that some of you may have read um, in your years in school. It's called The Heart of Darkness. I know that I read that in my sophomore year of high school, so many years ago. It's been a while. Maybe some of you read it when you were in school as well. Um, when I, at the time, I, I'm positive that a lot of it went over my head. Maybe that is true for some of you as well. Um, <clears throat> but as I was reconsidering the story um, for uh, this sermon, a couple things jumped out at me about the story. 
So Marlowe, the main character of The Heart of Darkness, embarks on this journey. He's on this journey, um, and he's, he's journeying into Africa, or the heart of darkness. Africa is, is the heart of darkness. And at the time uh, that this book was written, Africa was thought to be a place where darkness lived. Um, right? There were people with dark skin who lived there, but at the same time, there was evil, there was danger, there was mystery. Darkness lived in that place. And throughout the course of the story, Marlowe goes deeper and deeper, and he begins to hear stories of this man, Kurtz. And uh, Kurtz is portrayed in this story to be the epitome of light. He um, is kind of on his mission, subjugating the dark Africans. He's bringing civilized light into the country. Um, But the deeper that Marlowe goes, the more clearly he begins to see the darkness of his own world. Um, He begins to see the darkness of London, where he's from, and he actually begins to see the darkness of this man, Kurtz, um, and the darkness of imperialism and racism. Eventually on his journey, he meets Kurtz, who has been driven insane by this journey and whose last words are, the horror, the horror. These words represent the kind of murky, hazy nature of darkness and light that Joseph Conrad, the author, was portraying um, in this story. Certainly, there is mystery and darkness to be, fo- to be found in the country of Africa, but there is also great darkness and horror that's perpetrated by London, by imperialism. Now, after hearing the story, if you're left feeling a little, in a little bit of a haze, you should be. I think that's kind of the intention of the author, and it, it effectively portrays, this story effectively portrays the murkiness of morality, of darkness and of light, knowing the difference between the two. So much of life today is lived in this kind of gray space. Postmodernism has taught us that there is no such thing as black and white, that truth is what you make it, and what matters is how you live your life. But this passage this morning from uh, 1 John has something to say about that relativism. It's about darkness and light um, in the same way, in a similar way that the heart of darkness is about it, but it's not in the way that you would expect. In this passage, there is clarity. Um, Darkness and light are true opposites from one another. So the problem we're presented with this morning is that each of us walks in darkness. We stumble around. We don't know the way to go. We're helpless and ignorant. We lie, we sin, and we do not walk in the light. John is writing to people who have these same struggles. The readers, uh, the audience of, of 1 John also walk as if they have not seen the light. They lie and they do not practice the truth. Like us, they need something outside of themselves to guide them, to orient them on the right path. So where do we find this guide in this passage? Where do we find our way out of darkness? God is light, and we must live in His light. God is light, and we must live in His light. But how do we do that? How do we live in God's light? This morning, we're going to consider three different ways. First, we have to acknowledge the darkness. Second, we experience His light. And third, we walk in His light. Acknowledging the darkness, experiencing His light, and then walking in His light. First, acknowledging the darkness. Look with me in verse 9 of our text. 
It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how do we acknowledge the darkness? Um, John gives us a pattern that we have to follow. We have to confess our sins, acknowledge our sins, and then our faithful and just God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, It says that God is faithful and just. What does it mean for God to be faithful and just in this context? Faithful. For God to be faithful, it means that He will keep His promises to us. In these verses, we hear about God's promise, that He is promising to forgive us if we confess our sins. And what John is saying is that God will be faithful to that promise, that He will be faithful to that commitment to us. We have to acknowledge the darkness in our own hearts and in the world around us. What does it mean that God is just? Um, It's no surprise to most of us that if God were being just, we would be judged harshly for our sins. We cannot stand in the presence of God uh, and walk in darkness. God in His forgiveness has flipped what justice really should be on its head. Justice because of God's gracious forgiveness, actually looks like relationship with Him, not alienation from Him. God has thrown us a lifeline through His Son, Jesus. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can have a restored relationship with Him. It's possible for us to walk in the light as He is in the light, because darkness did not overcome Jesus, and resultantly it has not overcome us. So practically, what might confession in this sense look like? Maybe some of you, when you think of confession, are imagining uh, a Roman Catholic confession where you go into a booth, uh, where you tell a priest about what you've done and they absolve you of your sin. Maybe others of you, as you think about confession, are thinking about admitting guilt, right? Owning up to something that you've done, a crime that you've done to someone in authority. And most of the time, This kind of confession will involve a judgment, a punishment that fits the crime. The surprising way that God works is that when we confess our sins to Him, there is no longer any punishment. He tells us that our stain of sin has been completely removed from us. But the story doesn't end there. Confession is not just a one-off thing. It's habitual. It's something that we must take part in daily, weekly, And if we don't, we are walking in darkness, and that would be paradoxical given that the light has been revealed to us in Jesus. So what does it look like to practically confess your sins? How do we go about acknowledging the darkness in our own hearts? The easy answer to this is familiar to everyone in this room, unless you walked in just a few moments ago, because we did it in, our, in the service this morning. We confessed our sins, and that's why a confession of sin is built into a liturgy, um, because week in, week out, we think that we need to be reminded of our sin. And I know that not all churches do this, but I, and I know Redeemer as well, think that this is a vital part of what it means to be gathered um, and worship God's people, worship as God's people together. If you're new to this church, if you're new to um, church in general, you might find that part of the service awkward. You might find it strange. Maybe you would say it's weird, but it's there for a purpose. It's there because if we don't confess our sins, we walk in darkness. 
And we can't walk in darkness when we have the light of Jesus in our lives. So that's why we do that. Where else can we see confession in our lives? Um, hopefully some of you do this in your small groups as you gather together around God's Word. Hopefully that's a place where you can confess your sins together. Maybe you don't do it every week, um, but that can be a place where you can be honest about your sins, honest about your failings, and where you can actually experience the Lord's kindness in community with other believers. Um, it's one thing to confess God's, to confess the way we've sinned against God uh, quietly, privately, um, to ourselves, but it's a whole other thing to do it um, with other people around witnessing it. An old pastor of mine <clears throat> once challenged me with the practice of confession. He challenged me to take the liturgy with me after church and to do that confession with friends, uh, maybe over coffee with a friend, to go through that liturgy together and to experience God's um, goodness and God's graciousness, His forgiveness one-on-one with a friend. Maybe that's something that you all can consider. Maybe you can bring that into your families, into your marriages. Um, Maybe you can bring that into your friendships. Pursue this kind of confession in every aspect of your life because God wants to forgive you, and He forgives us as we confess our sins. Because confession is is formative. It's not just for our benefit, um, but confession is meant to, to shape us, to form us. The church is to be a community that is known for our confession. We don't hide our sins. We don't lie about them. We are bold and we proclaim the ways that we fail because we have one who we know will, for, who we know will forgive us and remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. I want to acknowledge that this is not easy, that vulnerability in this way is actually really hard, that admitting where you, where you have gone wrong takes humility and I know that personally my pride often will get in the way of, of my own confession. Um, and confession can also become something that's kind of rote that you just sit and you do and it, there's nothing behind it. Um, and it kind of can lose its potency. But we have to trust in the one who is light, the one who has no darkness in him at all. Through Jesus, we have this power. We have the power to own the ways that we've sinned against him, the ways that we've turned our back on him. Jesus is the one who pursues us. He's the one who won't let us fall from His grip. Jesus is our power in our confession, in acknowledging our darkness. But to live in God's light, we don't only acknowledge our darkness, we also have to experience His light. So this brings us to our second point, experiencing God's light. Look, at, look, at me, look with me at verses 7 and 9. I'm going to read those again for us. It says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleanses us. Um, That action of being clean, being cleaned, being cleansed is passive. It's not something that we can do ourselves. It's something that God has to do for us we need to experience His light. That is passive as well. Experiencing His light is a passive thing. Um, if If we confess our sins, Jesus will cleanse us from our sins, and He will wash us white as snow. What does this look like? What does this cleansing look like? In verse 9, it says that He is going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And in verse 7, it says that Jesus is going to cleanse us from all sin. All sin. Maybe that's surprising to you um, because it doesn't, that's not our experience, right? That He has cleansed us from all sin. Um, because this passage, it can't mean that we're never going to sin again. That once we confess our sins, we're kind of magically uh, freed from them. Um, because we know day to day that that's not how it works. Um, a professor from seminary, uh, when I was in seminary, used to talk about this, this kind of cleansing as a transformation. God does a work of transformation, of changing us from a people who um, aren't able to enter into His presence to a people who are able to enter into His presence. Um, because our cleansing is not just a removal of guilt. It's actually a complete makeover. It's a, com- it's a total change. Um, I think that one of the best ways to, as we try to understand what this looks like is baptism. Because when you enter into baptism, it's a one-time act, um, and it's, it's the way that God washes us clean with water. Um, in the Old Testament, in the, in the old days, uh, the first half of the Bible, it was well understood that washing with water was the way that you could remove ritual uncleanness. Um, if you came into contact in those days with something that was uh, impure, you needed to be cleansed. You needed to be washed with water so that you could enter into God's presence again. But the same was true if you came into contact with something holy. You also had to be cl- cleansed because um, you can't, an unholy person can't be in the presence of a holy thing like God. And that's what our situation is like. In order to have a relationship with God, we have to come into contact with someone who is holy, someone who is holier than anything else in the, in the whole universe, God Himself. And the reason that we are able to come into contact with that holiness is because, is because God has cleansed us. He cleanses us through baptism. He cleanses us um, through, the, through the Word, um, just as He promises in this passage. But what does it practically look like for us to experience the light of Jesus as John is calling us to do? Because John clearly can't be calling us to be baptized each time we confess our sins. So what is he calling us to do? Um, It's hard because it's not something that we can, you know, kind of muster up in ourselves, do by ourselves. It's something that Jesus has to do to us. Um, Just as we talked about the confession of sin in the service, um, we also need to talk about. Um, we also need to talk about the assurance of pardon in the service, um, because in that part of the service, it's a time where we confess our sins. And then the pastor or the person who's leading the service assures you of this cleansing. Where else can we do it? What about in our own personal lives or our own personal confession? When you go about and do this act of confessing your sins. Don't let it just end with confession. Hear the words of God. Hear His assurance of pardon in those times as well. Um, That's why if you maybe do this with a friend, it's helpful because you can confess your sins and then you can hear back from them the assurance of pardon that God has forgiven your sins. Some of you this morning might be thinking um, that you are just too far from saving, that your sins are too great to overcome and it's not possible for you to be ever fully clean. Others of you might be sitting here thinking, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I think I've got this, this sin thing licked, um, and I don't really need to do it that often. I don't need to confess my sins that often. Um, and uh, 
both of these, if you're, if you're thinking either of these things, um, we need to be reminded of this. When someone in the Old Testament community became unclean, there was a process of cleansing. Um, and that process of cleansing didn't only involve uh, the washing with water, it actually involved a sacrifice as well. Someone had to take on the punishment for God's holiness um, to be satisfied. Thankfully, all of us, whether we think we're good enough or whether we think we could never be good enough, can know that there is one who is good enough on our behalf, Jesus Christ. And we can trust in His sacrifice on our behalf because He is sufficient to cleanse us from our sins. So not only do we need to acknowledge the darkness and experience God's light, but we also need to walk in His light. So this brings us to our third point, walking in His light. We're going to be in verse 7 again. Um, you see that, in, that there in verse 7 it says that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you if you walk in the light. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard about Jesus' blood. It's a common theme. Um, and maybe you've become desensitized to kind of the graphic image that that is. Um, with modern medicine, right, we don't actually have to deal with blood that much um, in our lives, not on a regular basis at least. Um, but in the, in the Old Testament, that was something that they dealt with all the time. And uh, one of the most common ways um, that, that they interacted with blood was in this kind of sacrifice um, that was part of uh, following God at that time. Um, blood is essential to clean something, um, as they understood it in the Old Testament. And um, this was kind of uh, a common theme just in the ancient world in general, right? You've heard about animal sacrifice or maybe even human sacrifice. And in those ceremonies, blood would be spilt in order to appease a vengeful God. That was what they thought they needed to do in order to appease a vengeful God. Um, the kind of God who is waiting to smite us if we take one wrong step. But the sacrifice from our text this morning is not to this kind of God. It's to a loving God who actually graciously provided a sacrifice for us. So when we think of blood in this context, we do actually need to deal with the fact that there is violence involved. But ultimately, the sacrifice comes from a place of love and mercy, not wrath and violence. The point is that we cannot just rest on our laurels and continue in the pattern of sin and confession. Sin and confession. Sin and confession. John is calling us, as you see in verse 7, to walk in the light, to, to turn from our sin. We're turning from the darkness to the light. We're putting off the old man. We're putting on the new man. And we can't do this under our own power. We do it knowing that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. We do it knowing that Jesus' blood has been shed for us, that God Himself died on that cross that we might walk in His light. So what does it look like to turn from our sin, to walk in the light practically? Um, this is the last little plug from uh, the church service. But uh, we have the confession of sin, right? We have the assurance of pardon. And I think that uh, at the end of the service, when we receive the benediction, that is a time where we begin to walk in the light. Um, the pastor might say something like this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good 
that you may do His will, working in that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's happening there is you're actually encouraged to live in the light, to live out of what God has done for us in this service, to turn and to bring that goodness out into the world, to um, take what happens in these four walls and to bring that out to our neighbors, um, to our city. I know that's oftentimes much easier said than done to do that um, because our old patterns of sin kind of draw us back in. We fall into, temp- into temptation. Um, but you need to know that you have been freed from those sins. You are no longer a slave to the sins. Um, they're not your master. We, like John's audience who he wrote to so many years ago, um, are given each other to help in this work. Um, we don't do it alone. We have Jesus and we have each other. And Jesus is with you as you struggle against sin in your lives. He is shining light into the dark places in our lives, and He wants a renewed relationship with Him. So follow Jesus, follow His light, and turn away from the darkness. Growing up, um, I used to spend hours playing this game on my computer um, called Age of Empires. Maybe some of you played that game growing up. And in that game, you start out uh, with this little village, right? you got like a little village and one little character, and all you can see is that little kind of village. You can't see anything around it. Everything else is black. And um, the goal of the game was to, uh, to find the other people who were also playing the game and kind of defeat them, right? And so you'd send scouts out, and they would explore. Um, you would have to find wood and, and gather it. You'd have to find uh, gold and mine it. You have to farm, you have to build up all these equipment, and you eventually would build your village into this, into this city. And um, you would train these soldiers, you would go out and, and kind of do these, these battles, these skirmishes. But um, one of the first things that you have to do is explore, send scouts out to see what's out there. And as you would explore, the map would begin to be enlightened, right? You could see what was going on, you could see what was out there. Um, and you could see all the places where you would need to go, the places where you need to go harvest lumber or mine for gold, <clears throat> and you would see where your enemies are and where you needed to focus your attention. And if you play the game to, the conclu- to its conclusion, generally the whole map, which was once in darkness, has been brought into light. John, in writing this passage for us, is telling us that light has come into our world, and he's telling us how we might live in light of it. John wants us to acknowledge the darkness, to acknowledge the sin, to experience His light and to walk in it. The path has been revealed. The map is clear. And you have the power to do this through Jesus Himself, the Son of God. I'm not saying it will, it will be easy. There will be bat- battles and skirmishes along the way. But now we know the way. We have been given each other and the Holy Spirit to enter into this work together. Let's pray that the Lord would help us as we do that. Heavenly Father, we need You to do this. We need You to turn from our sin and to walk in Your light. Lord, each of us in this room knows the ways that we have sinned against You, the ways that we fail to measure up. And we know that we need you to turn from our sin, and so we pray that you would, that you would help us, that you would send your Spirit, that you would convince us of our sin, and that we would be able to turn from it.
we'd be able to see change happen in our lives, that we'd be able to be transformed, and that we can bring that transformation, that change, out into our lives and bring others in who can have the same experience and bring your kingdom to this world. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.